Well, she did a, career, uh, a Search for a Star competition in 1980. She got into some TV shows and a couple of singles, but uh, she joined up with Blue Zone in 1986, released some singles. But then Cold Cuts, People Hold On in 1989. She was the vocalist. That's where she was featured, and she exploded. Affection came out in 1989, and all around the world was the major breakthrough in her career. The one you just heard was released back in 1997. You were there, SAFM, coming up. Uh, we uh, Let's talk in fact let's let's change it now let's talk about powerful women uh we're joined by chartered accountant hockey goalkeeper she says she's balanced everything successfully and now she's becoming a little bit of a power woman in the world of sport we'll get our next guest Pumalela Mbande on in a moment. South African hockey goalkeeper. She's also the vice captain there. She's got some plans on how to change sport in South Africa. It'll be a fascinating chat and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we are going to bring you some scores just in case you missed them earlier on. Nothing's changed in the Masters yet for the South Africans. In fact, let's have a look where the South Africans are. Charles Swartzel, even par through 12, is one over for the tournament. He's tied in 32nd place, best place South African. Louis Westhazen, excuse me, Louis Westhazen to Louis Westhazen tied in 39th, even par for the day, two over par for the tournament. Christian Besaidenot at the moment is third last. He's having a terrible day. Two over, four over for the tournament. Uh, only Harris English on five over and Adam Scott on 10 over par are uh, worse than him. So he's made the cut at the Masters, which is great. Let's talk to our next guest. Uh, Pomalela Mbande joins us, 26-year-old now. I uh, No, she's not. She's 20. I was doing my maths wrong there. Pomalela, you're at what, 28 now? Yes, I turned 28 in March, John. I'm just rubbing it in. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's all right. I'm embracing it. But power woman in sports, so much to talk about. We could talk, we could have a, a half hour long conversation, which is great because we got half an hour, which is very, very nice. Let's start at the beginning. Hockey, why hockey? Um, interesting question. To be perfectly honest with you, um, to begin with, it wasn't really by choice. I moved to school in a very small town in KZN called Linford Primary, and hockey was the compulsory winter sport in the school. So I'd never played before then. Um, the only sport I'd taken part in before was um, athletics at my old primary school. Um, but yeah, because it was compulsory, you sort of all had to do it. But I absolutely fell in love with the sport in the mm. years to come, and I have never looked back. Why had you not done sport before? Um, there just wasn't the opportunity at the school that I was at before. So the only thing we did take part in was athletics. It was a school in Mtata mm. in the Eastern Cape, um, Gladys King Primary School. And yeah, like just the lack of opportunity, I guess. Okay, so you found hockey. Were you always the goalkeeper? <laughs> I absolutely was. Um, yeah, like I said, <laughs> I'd, never, <laughs> I'd never played before. And when I got there, um, I literally, I saw the ball first. And then I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then the next thing I saw was a big goalkeeper bag. And I was like, okay, shotgun that. <laughs> I choose that position because it seems like the most protected. And you didn't have to run too much. Not at all. Absolute best part of it all. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess, where, where are you in Cousin of the Tell, you were saying, right? Um, well, yeah, this was in Kaiser Inn. Um, yeah, oh, so, it's a very, very small town, but I'm not there now. Okay, no, but then you put on all the kit and suddenly you realize, hold on, KZN is quite a warm place to be. Um, to be honest, not so much. Eh? I, I think okay. that is something that... Um, a lot of field players and actually anyone who really doesn't play goalkeeper things. And I agree, I think 
I mean, I can't remember a time where I felt like my kipper is too hot for me to play in. <laughs> um, if anything, I appreciate the fact that when it is hot, I don't feel the sun burning my skin. Now, I'm not sure if that's just in my head or if that really mm. is how it is, but I definitely prefer being in kit. And hockey's changed because nowadays even the players are wearing face masks and things. I think you as a keeper should go, hold on a second, that's for me, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, as much as um, being goalkeeper is special, I do think it's right that players do get to wear masks, especially uh, specifically for short corners. It is quite dangerous, um, in my opinion. I mean, field players will say something different, but I, I think field players are a little bit crazy for playing without kit on, but that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> What's that saying? There are two types of hockey players. Those that have been hit in the face and those that haven't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and you did all of this and you're playing for the Pro Tears and you became a chartered accountant at the same time. Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy to be a chartered accountant at the best of times. So how, do you, how did you manage to fit all the studies and the training and the social life and still have everything else happening around you? Yeah, I think oh, when I look back at the last 10 years specifically, it has been extremely challenging. Um, but I think what made it easy is that, uh, number one, I loved what I was doing. So I loved playing hockey and I loved what I was studying. Um, and I was, yeah, I was absolutely pas- passionate about it. And it's also things that I'd set out to do from when I was as young as maybe 12 years old. Um, so that, that part for me individually was what made it a bit easier. But I also think I had a lot of really good support systems. So from my, my mom and my brothers back at home, they were really good and literally, I want to say, carried me through. Um, but the coaches that I worked with, uh, the lecturers that I worked with, um, I always joke, but I, I mean, I always joke, whenever I walk into a hockey space, one of my introductory um, lines was, hey, I'm Paul's up here hockey, but I'm also studying accounting. And, and when I walked into <laughs> lecture rooms, it was, I'm Pums, I'm studying accounting, but I'm also a national hockey player. Um, and it always just helped give people a lot of context about what I was doing and what I was trying to achieve. Um, and even when I got to work with PwC, um, one of the first conversations I had with the partners there was, I'm on this journey, I have dreams that I'm trying to chase, and it'd be really great if you could assist me. Um, and what I found along the way is that a lot of people love a really good story, a lot of people love supporting someone who looks like they're chasing a dream, and they want to be part of that dream in whatever way they can help. So I think that's made it, it made it what it was, and it, it worked out for me, fortunately. All right, let's talk about these varsity years, because that's influenced a lot in where you are today and what you're doing today and, and the change that you're wanting to make. Talk us through what happened, how you became not just a chartered accountant slash hockey player. Um, I think, yeah, it's, I think I sort of grew into the person that I am. Um, I am a very passionate person by nature. Um, uh, It's actually something I'm trying to work on now in terms of knowing what battles to choose and what what battles to step aside from. But uh, I love, I'm a believer in things working out for people. Um, So I think a big part of how things have played out has been if I feel like something should be a certain way, I love fighting for it. Um, if I am wrong, that's okay. I am willing to learn and change and, and adapt accordingly. But yeah, I'm an extremely passionate person and whatever fight I believe in, I, I really go for and I want to challenge systems and I want to challenge people um, because I think we all, where we can, should give people what opportunities we can give them. I think my story specifically speaks a lot to opportunities.
opportunity and mm. people allowed me to, to be the person that I am, to chase my dreams um, in whatever way I could. I come from an extremely humble background um, and half of the things that I've been able to attain have been an, as, a, as a direct result of people fighting for me and people rooting for me. And I think if I can help someone else achieve their dreams in the same way, then I'm really happy. <laughs> Okay, and you've been quite forceful with it. I know that uh, I'm sure there are many sorry, sports people. Sorry who... to interrupt. I'm struggling to hear you a bit. Okay, we'll, we'll keep on. We'll keep on keeping on. Maybe uh, Sly can do something. I'll turn up the volume here as well. Uh, I was saying that you you you're very forceful in you're very forceful in what you do and how you do it. Uh, yeah. You 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 don't hold back. So tell me. You, know, the, the, you could easily have done it behind the scenes, but you've been quite vocal in trying to see change, not just in hockey, but in sport in general. Why have you yeah. gone the loud, noisy route? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's now become loud, um, but it didn't always start that way. And I think the reason it's ended up maybe being as loud as it is is because I think sometimes it's, you can always achieve change. You can always make changes by being quiet and in the background. But there are times when it's, it's been apparent that you actually need to be loud and vocal for people to pay attention. Um, and you maybe achieve certain things a bit quicker. Um, I would say that specifically with regards to um, transformation in sports, um, transformation in hockey, um, I think the fight maybe isn't... I think I personally and the people that I was working with, we lost a little bit of momentum from where we started. And that's been quite sad to see um, for various reasons. But mm. I am still a firm believer that you get changed by making the loudest noise. Maybe I say that very guarded and very careful. So the, the loudest noise, but in the right way. So with, with right. the way we chose to do things was we did start with boardroom discussions and conversations. Um, and there were certain things that were agreed to, and we said we'd work in a certain way with the people that we were speaking to. But when that didn't work out, then the sort of last resort was to go the loud vocal, hey, guys, can someone please pay attention because we're trying to get this out there. Um, and that seemed to get us the best results at the time. Players for Transformation, has it been a success? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. But I don't believe that it is a, a dead fight. Like I said, I think we lost momentum. Um, I thought we started incredibly well. But the one thing, um, and it's something I was warned about by the people that we spoke to when the whole thing started, people who've been in the system much longer than we had, it was that you will, it is a long fight. It's not, a, it's not something you see results for right now. Um, and I think that is probably the, the toughest lesson that I learned to, I mean, you can always accept that, yes, it's not going to change now. Transformation isn't something that can happen overnight. But that's our feeling then, and it still is my feeling now, is that that is part of the reason we are, what's it now, 27 years into democracy mm. and we're still fighting for transformation. It's the fact that we've always just accepted that it takes time. Changing systems takes time. Um, and I think if we were all a lot more deliberate about it, it wouldn't take as long as it is taking. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is right now. <laughs> um, so to, to, to answer your question again, no, I don't think place for transformation has been a success. But I don't think the fight has... It, 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 I definitely haven't lost all fights in me. I'm just <laughs> trying to focus on getting me in the right place first. All right, Pumalela, what is, what is holding back 
what is holding back change in hockey specifically? Yo, there's a, I think there, there, there are a number of things, um, John. I think the easiest answer to that is probably resources or lack, lack of resources, lack of funding specifically, um, because I think we have incredible talent in our country. Uh, if you look at our current national squad, I think more than half, has and uh, definitely more than half has probably under 25 caps. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a very young group of players, incredibly talented. Um, if you look at our school systems, we have all the players, we have all the talent that um, other top nations have. What they do really well is that they hone that talent and they grow it and they build it into their system and they build a sustainable system. So I think for us, our biggest problem is um, lack of resources and funding. Um, and I also think a big challenge for us is the some of the systems that are in place. I don't want to say people specifically, but some the way some structures are set up. Um, and that is pardon, um, one of the things as players of transformation um, and in terms of transforming the sport specifically, that's one of the things we, we were trying to challenge and change to say, you can't change South African hockey as a whole if you don't change the systems, the structures, the policies that build the sport. Um, and I think a big part of our struggles stems from from the system as a whole. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it, it does. But then how does one change that? It's, it's a very big system. Sport is, I mean, yeah, governments are slow institutions. Sport <laughs> is even slower. There are people yeah. who are there, to, you know, they're there to hold on to power. They're there for the money. They're there for whatever reason. To, yeah. and, and then they rely on elections. We're seeing issues in football as well, where people are calling yeah. for heads of boardroom people. But they say, well, you yeah, know, we've been elected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... How does one change it? I say I, I still believe it, it lies in what I spoke about, so the, 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 the structures, the policies that are in place. Because like you said, people say, well, we have been elected. Well, then we must, mm. we must put systems in place that will force the people that are elected to do certain things. As soon as you leave <laughs> things up to, up, like, as soon as you leave gray areas in place, it's easy for people to hide behind while... So, for example, I'll give the perfect example in hockey. And I speak specifically to transformation because that's the one focus area of hockey that I've worked with people that are in the right. background for. Like, I know that the, I like to think I know parts of the ins and outs. But the perfect example is um, the rule of having a minimum number of players in teams to participate in certain in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, varsities in the country were very happy to just say there aren't any players of colour in any of the um, universities because there's just no one coming through from high school. That was always the excuse. Until Varsity Mm. Sports said, you have to have, I think it's four or five players in your team. Then all of a sudden, all the varsities could recruit. They could recruit players of colour. And and it's good (laughs) players of colour. It's not people that were just picked and forced into the sport. It's people that were there that just needed to be brought in. So I think... If we change the policies, and it's, it's really sad that we have to force um, something like the quota system um, mm. in order to get certain changes. But like I said, when changes are happening organically, you have to you have to change something else. Like you have to force the change. Um, so, but I think- let me let me just play let me just play devil's advocate for a, po- a moment, Pumalela Mbande. If you give yes. quotas, and this is one of the arguments against quotas, is if well you need four players of color, then they'll just put four players of colors in. Uh, players of colour in and go, well, there we go. We, we've done our job. So that, that has been the next level of fight to say, as soon as you then minimize, put a minimum number of players, 
you put yourself in a position. So uh, for me, the idea of a quota system is that, yes, it forces people to, to, to find players of color, but mm. the idea would be a, a logical person would find, would invest in players of color more than just find them. So, okay, yeah. I need a, a strong, well-represented team. Let me groom players. So I'll use my province that I'm in at the moment. I would have thought that Northern Hockey would say, okay, so we, want, we need a representative um, team um, <laughs> and we would like to get to position X by, in, in five years' time, we'd like to have a team that's maybe 40% black or 40% African, colored, and Indian. Um, and the idea would then be to say, okay, all our schools, let's look at placing, instead of just saying we'll have four in the province, let's say mm. we'll have six per school per first team. Then instead of having four players at your child that you have to pick for your team, you make sure that you have really good players and you have a really good base to pick from. Part right. of the problem yes. for me with the system is that we have such a small um, pool of players to select from that one player gets injured and all of a sudden it's chaos because, oh my God, mm. we're not going to meet this, these damn systems that are in place, excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All of a sudden it's the system and, oh, we don't have enough players. And, 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 but, but that's just a... It, it shouldn't be that. It should be get your talent, then you have a big pool to select from, then, then it's never an issue. But yes. obviously yes. it doesn't always work out. <laughs> Yeah, it's as you say. It's been a long time coming, but it's almost in in rugby. Those quota systems were hated, but mm. but now it's almost as if the especially you know, the, the big franchises and the Springbok team. It's it's not an issue anymore. There there have been one or two times, but it's almost as if you know, we've we're getting the best rugby players in, and it doesn't really matter. You know, the obvious exactly. skin color. We've got the best guy, you know. And I exactly. think cricket is hopefully sorting that out now as well. And and I'm glad you mentioned cricket because that was one of the at the hockey endeavor that we held at the beginning of 2019. That's one of the sports that we looked at to say what did they actually do because they had achieved really good things um, in the years since they were deliberate and transformation. And that's mm. what we, that's where we were trying to get hockey to to be to say be deliberate in your efforts because for me it's. Like, I really struggled to wrap my head around. Like I mentioned earlier, I'd never, ever, ever in my life heard of hockey until I got to Linford. And Linford is mm-hmm. a private school in the middle of nowhere in KZN. Um, and, like, that, that <laughs> says a lot to me because there's many, many players out there that aren't in private schools in South Africa or previously, um, what's the previously Model C schools. Um, mm-hmm. there's, lots of, there's lots of players that could be great, great talents. You see a lot of um, players that come through the hockey systems who were, ne- who were not necessarily hockey players when they began. They were really good sprinters. They were involved in athletics, individual sports. And then later on, they, they found hockey and they became really good hockey players. Right. I look at yeah. um, Celeste Diamonds, an ex-national player. She was a, a South African sprinter. She was really, really good. Yes, uh, hockey, was, hockey became then uh, a big part of her life and she was one of South Africa's um, most capped players. But her first main sport was athletics um and like i, I don't see why we would why we wouldn't tap into that opportunity as a country but yeah like i said things don't always work the way we think they should Okay. Uh, first of all, no, I need to take a little break because I need to reintroduce you. Uh, Pomalela Mbande is South African hockey goalkeeper, vice captain mm-hmm. there as well. Now, so you've had all of those challenges, uh, which mm-hmm. is great. 
Now suddenly you are at an Olympic Games that you've qualified for. Talk <laughs> us about the challenges about getting to Japan. Yo. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember earlier, but I mentioned that a big, big part of my struggle with getting the PFT back to where it once was has been that there's been a lot of things that I've been challenged and struggling with in my individual capacity. Um, right. And yeah, one of those things has been just my mental health as an individual. Like that's been, I've really battled over the last maybe two years, but specifically the last year since the COVID, the outbreak of COVID. Um, but I think not just for me as an individual, but our team has had many, many challenges. We are an amateur sport um, in a country that has an, a struggling economy. Um, we were previously, or we are still to a certain degree, funded by Supergroup. Um, but they've had a challenge as a company um, because of COVID. So they've sort of pulled back some of their funding. Um, so a big, big challenge for us as a, a squad has been resources. Um, we've had, so obviously with, with COVID happening, everything was put on hold for the Olympics. Um, some team members had, had plans to maybe look to retire after the Olympics. So a, an additional year's break was quite tough. Um, but then there was also the challenge of firstly training remotely, um, the uncertainty that came with whether the Olympics was going to happen or not. Mm. And then, I don't know if you're aware, but Saskox also had a number of um, financial struggles. And as it stands, in order for us to go to the Olympics, um, we will each have to pay 45,000 rand. Um, now, for, for a, a group of players who are, um, I mean, half our team is still studying with students. Um, We've got people that are self-employed through hockey. Um, so they run hockey clinics or they coach at schools. Um, we have people who are teachers. So th there's, a, there's a really wide range of um, people from different backgrounds who are having to manage these many, many buckets in their lives and then mm -hmm. still focus on making sure that we're the best or we're the best athletes mm -hmm. that we can be and that we can compete at an international level. Um, a lot of teams in Europe are part of the Pro League, which is basically mm -hmm. a club league for, for, for countries to play in. So teams travel from country to country and play each other um, and get proper competition. We as a squad had um, made plans to have a summer series now in January. So t uh, Belgium, Germany, and I think India were meant to come across um, and play test matches against us, but because of the outbreak and the way things were in Cape Town at the beginning of the year, um, we had to call everything off. So we haven't had any international competition since, I think it was February last year, February, March last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we sort of, pardon? I said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really long. So we haven't had any international competition since then. Um, and so we sort of had to set up our own programs. Um, our fitness trainer has been really good, Taryn. So she, when we were in hard lockdown, she'd set up home-based programs for us. And then as we've gradually come out of it, she's developed pro our programs. Um, and our staff as a whole, our coach Rob and manager Jill, NK, our assistant coach, they've all set up a really nice program that. <laughs> gives us the best opportunity, I think, consider all things considered. So we basically every second weekend meet in Joburg and have a centralized camp where we have seven sessions over the three days. We train together as a group and we just do what we can with what we have. Um, but again, a big part, a big struggle with that has been funding because um, players mm -hmm. have to get flights to bring them in. Our local players have to host players from out of town. 
Pretoria players are driving in, in and out of um, Joburg every weekend that we have camp. So there's been many, many, many struggles. But I think our team is finally in a really good position in terms of training together as a group. A large number of our base is uh, a large number of our players are based in Gauteng, so that at least gives us time to train together in the week as well. Um, but it has been tough. I, I really am hoping that uh, this this yeah. Olympic team that does go will be South yeah. Africa's dream Olympic team, having conquered and overcome some really incredible challenges. Well, it sounds like just getting there is overcoming some of those challenges. So <laughs> once you once you you know we, we're talking about not being able to give athletes the opportunity. Forget playing for the national side. Even if you're getting to the national side, now you need to be able to do fundraising as well as part of your exactly. job. It's not just hitting the ball. You suddenly yeah. need to find 50 Gs. And if somebody's yeah. coming from a, a, a disadvantaged background, where are you going to find 50,000 Rand from? I, I couldn't do it. If my son came to me today, yeah, I would have to take a big-ass loan, and I can't afford a loan exactly. now. So I don't understand exactly. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pomelela, so with all of that said, what is the ambition at the Olympic Games? What would you, what would what would you be happy with as the vice captain at the end of the day? Our big dream for the Olympics is to make a quarterfinal um, and to place in the top eight. Um, South Africa's highest place, placing position was ninth. I can't remember which Olympics it was. I want to say Athens. Um, yeah. But sure. that's the highest we've ever placed. So if we could get ourselves to a quarterfinal, that would be a, a massive victory. Um, I was part of the Junior World Cup side in 2013, and we had this amazing dream of placing in the top eight, and we actually did. Um, so I have had a dream similar to this before um, with the national South African national team, um, and I think it, it, when I look at the group that we have, it isn't. It is definitely possible um, with lots of hard work, with a little bit luck, a bit of luck on our side. I think we can definitely get there, um, but that is definitely leave me feeling I've done my part to to help South Africa be in a better position, South African hockey to be in a better position. Pomelela Mbande, thank you very much for joining us on SAFM Sports Tracks. SA hockey goalkeeper and their vice captain. Good luck at the Olympic Games. Thank you so much, John. Really awesome chatting to you. Cheers.